If you have Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We're doing two chapters this morning. And there's a reason why we're doing two chapters. And we go verse by verse. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, we do verse by verse through the entire New Testament on Sunday mornings. And the reason why we're doing two chapters today is because the name of my message from these two chapters is it's more blessed to give than receive. Words of Jesus from Acts chapter 20. And the reason why we're doing two chapters is because we hit all the topics. We go through the entire New Testament on Sunday mornings, and we aren't going to skip anything. But, but these two chapters, both chapters, are on giving. And I don't want to spend two Sundays on giving, so we're going to put your seatbelts on. We're going to fly through these chapters, and we're going to learn some good things about giving this morning. But we, we don't emphasize or push real hard on giving here on Sunday mornings. I know I'm reading some of your minds. Oh, yeah. Preacher's going to talk about giving today. All, he, all, the, all these preachers ever talk about is giving. They just want, they just want my hard-earned money, and so hey, I'm glad I came to church. He's going he's to give us a hard time about giving again this morning. Hey, if you've been at Calvary Chapel very long, how long, how many times has Pastor John talked about giving? Very little, very little. And you know why? It's because we don't push that. We have a motto here at Calvary Chapel. It's the first saying on our We Believe wall over here. What does it say? Where God guides... God provides. We aren't going to push on giving. We're not going to strong arm you into giving more. We don't do that around here. We believe that God, as he guides us as a church, he will provide and he will bless. He'll take care. God ain't broke. God provides. And where he guides, he provides. But at the same time, when we come up to scripture that talks about giving, we're not going to just do a skip over, okay? We don't do that either. We do what Paul says. We don't shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We're going to teach you everything this book says, including when it talks about giving. We're not going to delete it. We're not going to cut it out of the Bible. We're going to teach what it says because we're going to teach you the whole counsel of God and some great principles this morning on giving. We will see. But we don't emphasize it around here. We've never had a pledge program. You know, you've got to sign those pledges for you. I will give this much. We'll never do that here. We've never had a Madison Avenue building program. We've got tons of buildings that we've done on this property, but we're never going to push and strong arm and try to get you to give more because we're just not going to do that because we believe where God guides, God provides. I was, it's amazing. God's timing is amazing. We had this um, a men's conference last week, a great men's conference, one of our best yet. We hosted for all the Calvary chapels in the South. We had probably over 500 men all weekend long, Friday night till Saturday afternoon, just had an amazing men's conference and then Tuesday hit, and um, we, were, we did the count and everything else, and we did everything for the count for what we thought was the men's conference, too. And it was one of our few years in the last few years where we came up short. Didn't seem like we had enough finance. Usually it's a wash. All the men that come just pay $30. It usually covers the whole cost of the conference, and we came up short. Now, we found out the next day that one of the reasons why we came up short is some of the envelopes that were there designated for the men's conference didn't get put in the deposit. I'm going, ah, I was stressing about it. And those envelopes were there, but they just didn't get put in the deposit. We found that out the next day. But, but as I was stressing about the provision for the men's conference, because it's a big deal, just the grocery bill for 500 plus men to feed them for the weekend. And I was stressing about it a little bit. And as I was stressing about it a little bit, the Lord reminded me where God guides, God provides. And here's how he did it. I'm, I'm sitting in my office, stressing a little bit about not having a wash this year for the cost of the men's conference. And my secretary comes in and said, Pastor John, there's a, there's a police officer out here who needs to see you. <laughs> go, really? He comes in the office, and, I mean, he's loaded. 
I mean, he's got pistols and, uh, I mean, bulletproof vests and everything else like that. And the first thing he says when he comes to the office, he goes, you need to talk to me. I'm going, okay, what's he got on me? I felt like I was back in the principal's office in my own office. He goes, you need to talk to me. And I go, okay. And he goes, you're going to want to talk to me. And I'm going, well, tell me what's going on. And he goes, and I asked him, do you go to our church? He goes, yeah, we, my wife and I both go to your church. I go, oh, whew, good. And uh, he goes, you're going to want to talk to me. And I go, okay, why do you, why, why? And he goes, because my wife and I want to give this. He gave me an envelope. I opened up the envelope, and I don't know if it was from an inheritance or whatever else, but I opened up the envelope. It was a check to the church for $20,000. And I go, thank you, Lord, where God guides and God, God provides. And, and then I talked to him a little bit more about it and stuff. I said, hey, one of the things we're trying to do by the end of the year at Calvary Chapel is to be debt-free on our main property and all the buildings. Would you mind giving it, would it, could we direct it that way? And he goes, yeah, whatever you feel led to, wherever you're guided. And I'm going, we are going to pay off our mortgage by the end of this year. God is going to provide in that way. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see us be debt-free on all our main property and all the main buildings. And it's coming. It's coming. So just that with a little explanation about giving. If you come next week, we aren't going to be talking about giving because it's another chapter, but we're going to talk about it this morning. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Let's look what Paul has to tell the Corinthians about giving. I'm going to give you six words, six words that describe biblical principles on giving as we go through these scriptures of Paul. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you're there, say amen. All right, here we go. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Now, what you need to understand here, first of all, context. Context is Paul, on his third missionary journey, started taking up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Why? Because the church in Jerusalem was broke. There's a prophet in the book of Acts that, that predicted, prophesied, that there was a famine that was going to hit the Roman Empire, and it hit Jerusalem hard. The church in Jerusalem was struggling. Another reason the church in Jerusalem was struggling financially is because on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people from other regions that were gathered there for the Feast of Pentecost got saved, and many of them decided to stay in Jerusalem. They wanted to stay with the new church. They wanted to be discipled, but they left families and homes and businesses, and they needed to be provided for. And so the apostles, remember there was people that brought their means to the apostle, Barnabas, one of them, and, and brought it to the apostles' feet, and they gave a lot of their, their resources to take care of these 3,000-plus people that were needed now. They even, they even had a fund for widows. Remember, the first deacons were established in Acts chapter 6 for the widows to be taken care of. So a lot of resources were going on, and the church in Jerusalem needed help. So the church, what Paul did, wonderful, what he did is on his third missionary journey, he took this offering of all the churches to give of their resources in the Gentile churches to take care of the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And, and Paul saw it not as an opportunity to bless the church in Jerusalem where the Christianity started, but he also saw it as an opportunity to bridge a gap between Jewish believers, Christians, and Gentile Christians who are now blessing back the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And so that's what Paul's talking about in this chapter, is the provision of this offering and this giving to the church in Jerusalem. Verse 3, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. This is the churches in the Macedonia area, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, 
but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Now, notice that last verse, very important. God's more concerned about you giving yourself to him than your stuff to him. The most important thing God wants, not as your stuff or your resources, the most important thing God wants, he wants your life. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, acceptable to the Lord, which is your spiritual service of worship. The biggest thing God wants you to do, first and foremost, is give yourself to him. Give your life to him. Give your life to him. And that's what he's talking about. They first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Verse 6, so we urge, you, we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Circle the word gracious, words gracious work. That's what giving is. It's giving of grace. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness and in the love we, you know, we inspired in you, see that you, here it is again, abound in this what? Giving is a gracious work also. I'm not, I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Now look at verse 9, very important verse on giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was what? Rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it, but now finish doing it also, so that just as there was a readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of your ability, uh, by your ability. Paul's saying, hey, you started in this area of giving to the Jewish church, now finish it. Complete this work of giving, this offering to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for, their, for, and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance, the abundance in the Gentile churches, including Corinth, Corinth was a rich city. It had an isthmus where ships would sail to, and then they'd roll over this rolling system to the other sea, a port city, a lot of business going on, so they had a lot of means. And it says, for this, not for the ease of others, for your affliction, but by the way of equality, verse 14, at the present time, your abundance, there in Corinth, being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, and there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much. He who gathered little had no lack. That's referring back to the Old Testament. When they had manna, those that gathered too much and tried to be greedy in the gathering of manna, their manna turned into worms. God won't let them gather too much. And those that didn't have enough, God would provide more manna. And so what it's saying here is, Paul's saying, hey, God has a way of supplying the needs of others by our giving. And it meets the needs of those that have lack, because we have surplus. But here's the first word I want to give you. I'm going to give you six words today on giving. The first word, very important, grace. Grace. Look back at verse 9 again. What should motivate and propel our giving? Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he is rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become what? Rich. How's that work? Well, Jesus was in heaven. He had all the angels of heaven worshiping him. He had everything at the snap of his fingertips. He could direct, he, he just spoke the word with the Father, and all the lights turned on. He just spoke the word and said with the Father, let us make man in what? Our image, 
And he breathed life in the man. And he was, he, was, he was at the zenith of the creation. He was, he was the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And then out of love and out of grace, he stepped down from his right hand of the Father on the throne and came to be a baby born in a feeding trough into a poor family, blue-collar carpenter family. And then he took the very nature of a servant, being made in the likeness of man, Check this out. And then he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Why? So that poverty that he went through for us, we might become rich. Well, I don't feel rich. I just barely pay my bills. Hey, you're spiritually rich if you're a Christian. You've been adopted into God's family. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Heaven's around the corner, a place Jesus called paradise. God sealed you with his spirit as a pledge of his inheritance. The Bible says you're not only adopted in his family, and you could call him Abba, Father. Father, you are joint heirs with Christ. You're wealthy in Christ. So why should you give your resources or your time or your talents to the kingdom of God? Because Jesus gave for you. And it's more blessed to give than receive. I see this in our U-turn ministry all the time. We have guys, 40, 50 guys uh, at times living on our campus in our homes over here that come to this facility and to our U-turn for Christ and they are in the grip and stronghold of drugs and alcohol and they are in bondage to that and then they come to Christ and God sets them free and God breaks the stronghold and God saves them. And I see the guys that really get it and really surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know what they want to do now? They want to give. They want to serve the Lord. They want to stay in the ministry that saved them and, and just be overseers and serve and give of their time, their, their talents and their abilities now. They want to give that because they've been given onto by the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving, because of God's grace working in our lives, giving should be propelled and motivated primarily by God's grace at work in your life. It's a natural response. When you understand all Jesus has done for you, you want to do for him. Giving's easy when you realize how much God has given you. We are to be a giving people because God is a giving God. Amen? That works that way. And if you really understand grace, and you're captured by that grace, and you're rescued by that grace, and you're saved by that grace, how can you not want to give back to the one that saved you and given to you? It's more blessed to give because you've been given onto. It's just a natural response. So the first word is what? Giving. Grace. Grace, grace, grace. I'll say it again. Grace. That's what motivates us in our giving. Now look, let's go to verse 16. But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you to his own accord. We have also sent with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. Now, Paul's saying in enlisting people for this offering, he's involving Titus, one of his main disciples. He's involved in the offering that's being brought to Jerusalem. And he's also saying this guy who's got fame in the gospel is also going to be a part of taking this offering. Now, who is that? We don't know. It could be Apollos, because Apollos was mighty in the scriptures. It could be Paul's right-hand man, Luke, who wrote the gospel, look in the book of Acts. It could be Silas, because he traveled with Silas also. We don't know who this brother, whose fame in the gospel had spread, but we know it's somebody reputable and someone that was uh, 
well-known was a part of this offering also. And then it says in verse 19, and not only this, but he also was appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself, and to show our readiness. Now look at verse 20, important verse on giving. Taking precaution so that no one will discredit (coughs) us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested, third brother now involved in this offering, who's been tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner, my fellow worker. Again, talking about his reputation. He's a partner, fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches of glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. Now, here's the next word I want to give you for giving. Based on this scripture, accountability. Notice Paul doesn't just go and take this offering and take the money and run back to Jerusalem with it. He's getting three different brothers who are a good reputation involved in taking this offering. It's Titus, the man who is famous in the gospel, and then another brother who is a fellow worker and had a good reputation. And that's an important part of giving too. When you give, when you give, you should give to ministries and churches that stay accountable. That's very important. How does it work here at Calvary Chapel, Lexington? Well, every, every year what we do is we try to get the elders together and we, we do a line item by line item by line item budget. We put it on that back table for anybody who wants to see it and it talks about the distribution of the funds here at Calvary Chapel so we're accountable and how we spend the money of God's people here at Calvary Chapel. Now the way we're accountable, just like Paul, is we get other people involved in it besides me. What we have is we have ushers take the offering every week, and we have multiple ushers with accountability take the money back to the office and then sort it out and put it in the safe, accountability. And then on Tuesday, we have two other people that are involved in doing the count. They do multiple counts. They come up with two separate counts, and then they put the deposit together. And then we have one person take that deposit to the bank, put it in the bank, but then we have another person who's involved in the payroll that has nothing to do with the count. And then another part of the accountability of the finances here at Calvary Chapel, just like Paul, number of people involved, is that I am 21 years since we started the church. I have never, ever done the count as the pastor of this church. Ever. And I've never taken the deposit to the bank either. Because like Paul, I want accountability and I want other people involved with that. And I tell you, that was a stretch when we first started the church too. Because we had people that we had just met involved with the offering and I just stayed away from it because I wanted accountability and there's accountability in the giving here at Calvary Chapel too. You know, a good example of that accountability in a ministry also I think is Billy Graham. Billy Graham signed this Modesto Manifesto contract with his team when they first started the Billy Graham Crusades and stuff. And from the beginning days of Billy Graham's ministry, they made a fourfold commitment. They said, we will never be alone as as married men with anybody besides our wife of some of the opposite sex. Very smart. They made a commitment too. They said, we will never exaggerate the numbers of our crusades, ever. They said, we will never, third thing, they said, we will never, ever gossip and say bad things about other churches to try to lift us up. They're always positive about other ministries. And then the fourth thing is, we will always be accountable in our finances, is what they committed to in the Billy Graham organization. And they said, our, our pastors, our team members, will get a set salary, we'll have a budget, and it'll be open, and it'll be available for people to see. And that's one of the reasons why God's blessed the Billy Graham Crusades and the ministries in the last 60 years. 
They follow this principle of Paul, of accountability, right? So we do the same thing here at Calvary Chapel. So let's go on. Second word was what? Accountability. First word, grace. Now let's look, go, go to chapter 9, verse 1. For his, that's a word we never use, is it? Sur, surper, superfluous. Thank you so much. You know what it means? Unnecessary. I like that translation better. Anyways, superfluous. For it is me, superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. <clears throat> for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal, notice this, the zeal of the Corinthians has stirred up most of them in, in Achaia. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that I was saying you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, 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 not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you <coughs> or to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now, here's, here's the next word I'm going to give you, forgiving. Very important. Inspiration. And notice what he's saying in that scripture about the church in Corinth. He's saying because of your giving and you notice your zeal in your giving, you've inspired other churches in Achaia and other areas to be giving also. And what happens when you were giving people? What happens when we get this, catch this thing of God's grace and we want to give back of our time, our talents, and our treasures to the church and the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you do that, as you have zeal in that, what's going to happen is you're going to spur other people on to have zeal to be giving also. That's what kind of what Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 is talking about. It says, let us consider how to stimulate one another. Another version says, let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as the day draws near. And as you get this thing of being giving on your time, your talents, and your treasures, you're going to spur other people on to give too. And it's going to happen. It just naturally happens. Good giving responds by getting other people inspired, and good giving happens with other people too. It even happens in the secular world. It's amazing. I was reading this week about Bill Gates. Bill Gates, as far as I know, is not a Christian, not even a believer. But he's been so blessed in Microsoft and all he's done, he's started this Melinda Gates, his wife's name, foundation. He's become quite a philanthropist. You know, in the last 10, 15 years, he's given away $45 billion of his own money. Let's get him saved and get, get him coming to Cover Chapel Lexington, amen? Imagine what we could do with $45 billion with churches and missions. It'd be amazing. But just because he's been so blessed, he's made it a goal to start giving away his fortunes to things like water supplies in African villages that have bad water, vaccines to other places that don't have any kind of vaccines or help. And he's given away $45 billion. And you know what his giving has done? It's inspired other billionaires to do the same thing. Did you know that? They started, I was reading this week, they, they started, Bill Gates started a billionaire club. And he's got 81 other billionaires that have signed this contract that says by the end of their life, they're going to give over half their fortune away to charitable causes. That's, listen, church, that's unbelievers mostly doing that. 
how much more should we be giving who know Christ? How much more should we be inspiring other people to be givers because of our zeal for giving also when you got unbelievers out there doing that, inspiring people to give? Amen? It's, and it's contagious, this, this thing of giving. It's contagious. When I was in college, I was a part of a college church. It was a great church. It's a great commission church. And the Great Commission churches were started on the Midwest college campuses, and there were a network of churches. And it was interesting because mostly college students in all these Great Commission churches. By the time I got involved, there was 23 Great Commission churches and university campus, Big Ten schools and universities around the Midwest. And I remember one time, and it was a part of that campus church, I remember one time we found out that one of the pastors in Kansas at one of the universities in Kansas, him and his wife had a baby and a part of being a campus pastor in those kind of churches is, is most of the, those campus pastors worked because even if college students tithe, guess what? It ain't much. College students were broke and the college churches were broke. And this pastor of the Great Commission Church in Kansas, they had a baby and they didn't have enough money to pay for health insurance and then they had complications in the pregnancy and there was a $38,000 medical bill that they couldn't pay for after the baby was born. And I'll never forget this. I was a young Christian at the time. I'll never forget what we had a Sunday after one of the pastors in our church found out about it. And what, what, what they did is we're, all the 23 churches in the Midwest were going to take a one-time offering, and we're going to see what we could raise to help the pastor in Kansas and his wife with a 38000 medical bill. And I'll never forget a bunch of us college students, we, that whole week before the next Sunday offering for this pastor in Kansas, we all got our quarters and nickels and dimes together. Remember that in college where you didn't even have currency, you just had coins? You know, you're so broke, you're just getting quarters and dimes. We got, we got all our quarters and dimes and nickels together, and we put it in the offering plate for that Sunday. And the 23 churches around the Midwest did that, and we all just got inspired by the giving of other college students. And you know that one offering with the 23 churches, we raised over 38 thousand dollars in that separate offering over and above our regular giving that's what happens we inspire one another when we're giving people and we realize it's more blessed to give than receive so the third word there is inspiration inspiration now let's go on verse six now this is a biblical principle for giving verse six now this i say he who sows sparingly will also what reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now listen, church. Uh, Paul's writing to an agrarian culture. Agrarian is a farming culture. And so they knew what Paul was talking about. Farmers know. You just, if you're sparingly in your seed, and you're just sowing sparingly in your seed, what, ha- what happens when the harvest comes? Not a lot of crops. But if you plant that seed well, and you use a lot of seed, what happens when the harvest comes? There's going to be some crops. There's going to be some harvest. And he's saying that applies, you agrarian people, to your giving too. He who sows sparingly in his giving will reap sparingly. But he who sows bountifully in his giving is going to reap bountifully. It's a spiritual law. It's all throughout the scriptures. I'll give you some examples of other scriptures that talk about the same principle of sowing and reaping. Jesus said in Luke 6.38, speaking of the same thing about giving, it says, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, by your standard of giving, it will be measured or given back to you in return. Solomon, wisest man in the world at the time, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 said, Honor from the, the Lord from your wealth 
and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with, notice, plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. And then the prophet Malachi, put it this way, Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And look, look what God says. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing till it overflows. I was reading that verse this week, and I was doing some reminiscing. Because 32 years ago, Heidi and I started our first church in North County, San Diego. We were sent from the church I was a college pastor at in L.A. to start this first church. And I remember starting that church and living in a two-bedroom apartment. And in San Diego, the two-bedroom apartment in 1986 was $700 a month. My salary from the church in L.A. was $1,000 a month. And uh, we also had, so $700 a month for rent. We had Heidi's student loan of $150. By the way, that was my dowry for marrying Heidi. <laughs> you got to pay something. You know, I'm just kidding. It was well worth it. So we had the student loan, 700 rent, 150 for a student loan. And then I remember as a young couple reading that verse. And God said, test me. Test me if you don't bring your whole tithe to the church you pastor and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and bless you for it. And I, I did the math as a Dutch guy, and I'm going, that math doesn't work, Lord. We're, we're, no, I mean, 850 going out just with rent and student loan. How, how are we going to give another $100 and make it? And the Lord just spoke to my spirit and Heidi's spirit to test me. So over the last 32 years, Every church, the three churches we pastored, we said we are going to tithe, bring the whole tithe to the church we pastor and trust the Lord. And God says, test me and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and bless you. And I've seen the last 32 years God's blessing. He has blessed us in so many ways and providing for us. And we would never stop tithing ever because we've seen this principle of sowing and reaping. It works. God blesses. It's a law. It's a law, spiritual law that works. Give, as Jesus said, give, and it'll be given unto you. Poured out, pressed, blessing comes. That's the next word for giving. Blessing. And blessing comes to those that are givers. Blessing. And it's not only physical blessing, it's the spiritual blessing of knowing you're advancing the kingdom and you're making a difference in helping people in the cause of Christ by your giving. Blessing comes from giving. And you know this law is interesting because it even works for those that aren't believers. It's not like a law of gravity. Uh, the gravity, if you go to a 15-story building and you say, well, I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe it. I'm just going to go to the top of this building, there's concrete down there, and I'm, I'm just going to walk because I don't believe in gravity. What's going to happen to you? Can you say splat? You're going to fall unless you've got some kind of backpack that makes you fly or something. You're going to fall because there's a law of gravity. There's a spiritual law of giving. Give, and it'll be given on to you. And even those that aren't believers, when they're giving and they're charitable and they're helping and they're giving, 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 what happens is it's given back to them. They're blessed. I think, you know, I don't agree with Oprah's universalism. I don't agree with her philosophies. I don't agree with her stances and stuff, liberal stances. But I do see that Oprah Winfrey is a giving person. She started schools for kids that need schools in Africa. She's done things like people in her audience. She just gives cars away to people in her audience. She's a giving person. And you know what? 
Her giving has come back to her. And she's, I was reading the other day, Oprah Winfrey is the wealthiest African-American in the whole world. Give, it'll be given out to you. It's just, it's, just, it's a law, it works. And you know what? I'm one of those guys, if it's not illegal or immoral, if someone challenges me in an area, I'll, 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 I like taking challenges on. And I remember God at the beginning of our marriage, he challenged, John Hoppy, do you believe what my word says? Give your whole tithe to the church. Test me now on this and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour a blessing. So, okay, God, you got me. Give it a shot. And we've never turned back. We do it wherever we serve, wherever we pastor. We bring the whole tithe to us and God blesses. And you know what? We've taught our kids that too. And our kids, when, when they were young, they had this little accordion thing with envelopes on it and stuff. And we taught them from the beginning days to tithe. And you know what? As far as I know, all four of my kids are involved in church and they're tithers at the church they're at too. And God has blessed them. They all got jobs. Imagine that. They're all married with Christian spouses. They all have their own houses. And God has blessed abundantly the hoppy kids. And a part of it is they're applying this principle of give and it'll be given on to you. I see that. It works. John G., when he got his first job, my oldest son up in Greenville, he couldn't find it. He wasn't settled in a church. The first six months he lived in Greenville, he sent an envelope back to this church that he wasn't attending anymore because he hadn't landed in a church up there yet, tithing his civil engineer uh, uh, money towards Calvary Chapel Lexington because he was going to tithe. And God has blessed him and his family because they're givers. Blessing comes from giving. Amen? And then it goes on, verse 7. This talks about attitude now. Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves what? Oh, there you go. God loves what? So the attitude's important in our giving, too. And when that plate goes by, we don't... Pastor John wants hard-earned money and... Put it in the plate. That's grudgingly, right? And I'm getting forced to give this... Because no, don't, that's grudgingly on a compulsion. If you're going to give like that, hey, I got a word for you. Just don't give. Because how are you supposed to give? What's your attitude? Cheerful. The word there is hilarion in the Greek. Guess what English word we get from that? Hilarious. <laughs> you know, for a while there, for a season, there was a kind of a weird thing that was blowing through the church. It was called holy laughter. You remember that? Some of you. It, it just kind of got weird. What happened was people felt that you're supposed to have this breakout of laughter during the worship, or even sometimes during the teaching time, people just start, oh, during the middle of the service. And people, whoa, what's going on there? And I was thinking about that this week, and I'm going, if there ever should be a time of holy laughter in a worship service, you know what it should be? When the offering's being taken. And when the offering's going by, we should be, oh, <laughs> I get to give again. Hilarious giving. That's how it should be, right? So next week when you come, be ready to give, and let's all just break out. <laughs> I, get to, I get to give again to God's cause. I get to give for the gospel. I get to give for the furtherance of Christ. I get to give for the, the blessing of people in the church. I get to give. <laughs> I have only laughter. So you go, you're crazy, John. I'm not crazy, because my heart is God has given so much to me. He has blessed me in so many ways. It's fun to give back to him. I love giving to God, and I love the fact that we got a lot of givers in this church that give 
not under compulsion, not grudgingly, but cheerfully. We went to a church this summer uh, when we were on our vacation for a week at the beach, and we always kind of, hey, when we're on vacation, we're going to find a church to go to. So we were at Myrtle Beach, and we didn't go to the Catholic Chapel. We went to another church, and it was a good church, and they were doing some good things. But it was weird because right before the offering was taken, the pastor gets up there, and as the pastor gets up for the offering, before they take the offering, everybody stands up and starts clapping. And then people go from clapping to cheering. I'm going, what? what? I was looking around, what are they cheering for? And what is it? We had a football game or something here? What's going on? And then the pastor let us know as visitors, hey, we do this every Sunday. We, before we take the offering, we cheer and we clap. We celebrate that we get to give to the kingdom of God. I'm going, that's the right attitude. Cheerful giving, celebratory giving. And that's, that's, that's a heart we should have. Amen, church? It's wonderful that we could give back to the kingdom of God cheerfully. Hmm. All right, let's close it up. Done with our two chapters in giving. Come back next week. Promise won't, I, won't, I won't talk about giving next week. We'll talk about what the scripture talks about next week. Let's close it up, though. So the last word was cheerful. Let's look at this last thing here now. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace. You see the word grace again? Abound to you, said, always having all sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he's going to talk about the seed and the sower again. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And here's the blessing again. And you will be rich in everything for all liberality, with, which, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience. Other people will glorify God because of their giving to Jerusalem. To your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of their surpassing grace. Do you see the giving again? The surpassing grace of God in you. And look, the last verse is key. Key. Thanks be to God for his what? Indescribable gift. The word indescribable can also be translated inexpressible. And what is Paul saying here is when I think about what God did in giving Jesus, when I think about what God did in, when it says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. How did God prove his love for us? What did he do? He gave, gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but has eternal life. What should motivate our giving? Well, grace, we've already seen. God's grace towards us should motivate our giving. But also, listen, church, please listen. Last word for giving, very important. Love. But God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when Paul talks about this gift of Jesus, he says it is un indescribable, indescribable. And Paul was a man of description. Paul was a man of brilliance. Paul was an author that wrote almost half the New Testament. Paul loved to write. Paul loved to express himself. But he said, when I think about what Jesus did for me and what the Father did for me in giving the gift of his son, Jesus, for me, he goes, 
inexpressible, indescribable. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes, we don't perish, but we have eternal life. And why should we be a giving people for the kingdom, for the church, for the cause of Christ? Because of God's love being shed abroad in our hearts. And we love, we love him because he first loved us. <laughs> you know, my job as a pastor isn't, isn't to get you guys to give more. No, it's not my job. It's not my job, man. <laughs> not my job to get you guys to try to get you and force you into, or oh, give, give more. Or, or, I, I ain't going there. That's not my job. My job is to teach you the word and then help you come to an understanding of how much God loves you. My job is to get you to obey the great commandment that says, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And as you grow in the grace and the understanding of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of Christ, you're just going to grow into a greater understanding of how much he loves you and how much the Father loves you. And the response of someone that's growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ and the response of someone who's growing in the love of Christ where that love is being shed abroad in your heart is you're going to move from the camp of taker to the camp of giver. Because it's just natural. When you love someone, you're going to want to give to them. Amen? Think about, guys, when you were dating that wife. Ooh. Flowers were not a problem. Now you buy a card and you say, I can't believe how much Hallmark charged for a stinking card. But when you're, really, when you're in love, you want to give. D.L. Moody put it this way. He said, I could, tell, I could tell about a man or woman's love for God more by their checkbook than their prayer book. Because we give to that which we love. Amen? Amen. Amen. We've done two old chapters today. But look at, let's, let's review the words. What words describe, give us biblical principles for giving? Number one, first word is what? Grace. 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 When we know the, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and though, though he's rich, he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. We want to be givers. Second word is what? Accountability. We're always going to have accountability here at Calvary Chapel in the giving and the finances. Number three, third word is inspiration. Our zeal in giving will inspire and stimulate others to be givers too. It'll be contagious. Number four, what was the word? Blessing. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly, but you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Number five, attitude. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, but what? <laughs> Cheerful giver. Hilarion, hilarious in our giving. And number six, probably most important, what should propel, motivate our giving? Love. For God so loved us, he gave. We want to give back to him. Amen, church? Amen, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you that your word equips us in righteousness, Lord. Thank you that your word helps us to be the people you've called us to be, Lord. And Father, I pray that we would take seriously what your word says about giving this morning, God. Help us to be people that are givers because you have given unto us, Lord. Help us to be people <clears throat> that don't give grudgingly or under compulsion, 
but we give cheerfully because it's an opportunity for us to bring our time, our talents, and our treasures to your kingdom and to make a difference for your cause and for the glory of Christ. Help us to be uh, cheerful givers too, Lord, because you have given so much unto us, Lord. You have been so, so good to us. We know that every good thing in our lives is from you, the, the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. Lord, you provided so well for us. And most of all, you've made us rich in Christ spiritually. You've given us the riches of heaven, Lord. You've given us adoption into your family. You've given us the privilege of not only knowing you, God, but being known by you, Lord. You give us the privilege of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. You give us the privilege of being joint heirs with Christ, of having the inheritance of heaven. Thank you, Lord, for all your blessing. Help us to be a giving church, a giving people, because we get to. God, I pray, too, that you help us to be a people that remember that as we give, you're going to bless. You're going to take care of us. You're going to provide for us. As, we're, as we sow bountifully, we're going to reap bountifully because of that blessing of giving and giving on to us. And Lord, may our giving not be motivated by that. May our giving be motivated by just love and grace. That we want to give because of your love and your grace towards us. We want to just bless you back and bless your church and your kingdom and other people back because you've given so much to us. Just thank you for this time in your word, Lord. Help us not to just be hearers, but be doers in this area of giving. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name.